Good evening, everybody. As has been mentioned, my name is Lawrence. I am very blessed to be the kids and youth coordinator here. I've been in Willowfield for eight and a half years. That's how long the kids and young people have had to put up with me. So bless them and pray for them. But I'm really excited to be sharing tonight. We launched our brand new theme for the year this morning, but we're going to build on it a wee bit tonight. And hopefully we'll have some screens on here very soon. But what I've called tonight is not to do with the theme, um, and it hopefully will make a wee bit of sense later, but if you know me, sometimes um, I'm weird. I think I'm a wee bit weird, and that's okay. So if you're weird like me, um, it's, all, it's all good. But I've called tonight Squats and Sunflowers. It's random, I know, but it will make sense later, and hope that it will stick with you. But our theme for this year, if you were with us last year, you might have heard us share about truth then dare, that we wanted to learn lots of truths and then dare to live them out, because what's the point in, not, in knowing truth if you're too scared to live it out? Well, this year, we're going, to, we're, we're going through the fruits of the Spirit, so nine fruits of the Spirit, one each month, and we're going to learn to live them out loud, because actions speak louder than words. So we want to learn to live out love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. One of my favorite quotes is by Ralph Waldo Emerson. He says, your actions speak so loud, I can't hear what you're saying. That our actions, if, you know, we might talk the talk, but if we don't walk the walk, then it doesn't match up. And then you can't trust that person. Whereas what builds trust? It's consistency. It's when your words match up with your actions. And Christians should live lives of integrity. We should be people whose actions speak louder than words and that we should live these things out loud. So we want to do that and learn to do that this year. And I shared three things that we're going to try and remember this year as we try and live these things out. And there are three that says keep it, okay? Because when you, when you turn up something too loud, someone will say keep it down, won't they? Has anybody ever been told to keep it down? Like you're being too loud, you're like, keep it down. Maybe you've said it tonight because there's someone noisy around you. And you're like, keep it down, or give over, or shut up, okay? But keep it down. Well, we're not going to keep it down. What we're going to do is learn to keep it simple, keep it real, and then the last one is keep it clean, okay? I'll explain that one. But keep it simple. I love Jesus and the way he taught. He was able just to simplify these things that seem so complicated, and, and often we overcomplicate stuff as well. We make mountains out of molehills. But he was, had this amazing ability to make stuff simple so that we can understand. And I, I love the saying, if you can't explain it to a child, you don't understand it yourself. So it's important that we keep things simple. Mark 12, 30 to 31, Jesus says, the two most important commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. So he says, love God, love people, but love yourself as well, not in a vain way, not in a I'm obsessed with me and I love a selfie kind of way, okay? But you need to look after yourself. You need to have self-care stuff in place. Keep it real. It's about being authentic. It's about not putting on a show. It's about not being an actor. A lot of the times we can, we can think that we need to walk through that door and then just be super Christian. Just like, I have just morphed into super Christian. And that is rubbish. God doesn't want us to leave our mess at the door. He wants us to bring it in and leave it at the cross because we talk about how plastic is polluting our earth, but the same goes for plastic Christians, polluting the earth as well. We need people who are real and who are gonna stand up for God. The last one, keep it clean. One of the funny things about camp, every day we had a joke of the day. 
And with some people you knew you needed to filter it. Like if Charlie Harbinson was going to get up, you knew, here, tell us the joke first before, he, before you get up. Um, it's kind of like, you know, Natalie's husband, Chris, if he was going to tell a joke on stage, you would need to filter it, okay? Because he's a rocket. But there was one person and we thought, no, we, we don't need to filter it. We'll just trust him, you know. And he got up and told the dirtiest joke of the week. We were like, oh my goodness. And his, I, I protected his identity this morning, um, but his name rhymes with John Simpson, okay? No, it doesn't rhyme. It is. <laughs> but God wants us to live a life that is clean, to pursue holiness. It says, be holy because I am holy. And you know what? There is no pillow as soft as a clean conscience, a clear conscience. And, it, and it's so true. If you don't want to live with guilt, don't do stupid stuff and, and try and become a better version of you and live a clean life. So keep it simple. Keep it real. Keep it clean. This morning we talked about David when he was a boy, when he had been anointed king and then he defeated Goliath. And we talked about facing our giants and how we're all going to face big stuff. If you're going to reach your potential, there's going to be things in the way. There's going to be giants. And most of them are probably going to be in your mind that you're going to have to overcome. So we talked about how we need to fix our focus. Okay, so getting the focus off us. We live in a selfie generation and getting our eyes on Jesus. We talked about how we have to fight our feelings because we're so impulsive. We're just like, I'm going to do this because I want to, you know, because I feel like it. And I'm not going to do that because I don't feel like it. When actually we need to fight our feelings. And the last one is, we've got to face our fears. Like John remembered, if you can't beat fear, do it scared. Just go for it and God will be with you. If you step out in his will, he will be with you. Tonight, we're not talking about David as a boy. We're talking about him when he was king. And he'd been through so much. He'd been on this journey where he'd been anointed king, but then he had this wait until he was able to take the throne. And um, his, his best friend's dad was the king at the time, and he really didn't like him. He was jealous of him because he thought, He's, how's this boy going to take my throne? Okay, so David had been through this whole journey where Saul had tried to pin him against the wall with a spear, um, and then Saul is killed. His best friend, Jonathan, is killed. David is made king. He is very powerful, but he doesn't have his best friend anymore, who probably keeps him right. Because if you have a best friend, like I have a best friend, he tells me when I do stupid stuff. And, and that's really important. But 2 Samuel 11, 1 to 5, talks about how David, this man after God's own heart, who I, who I reckon was a man after God's own heart because he was a boy after God's own heart when he was younger, he then falls in a way that people would never have suspected would happen. It says in, in chapter 11, in the spring of the year when kings normally go out to war, I want you to remember that, okay? So that should start saying, um, ringing alarm bells. He's meant to be with his army. When kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Oh dear, what's going to happen? Late one afternoon, after his midday rest, after a lovely nap, you can't beat it, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. Like, who takes a bath on the roof? That was, that's a bit mad, okay? He sent someone to find out who she was, and he was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah. Then David sent messengers to get her, 
And when she came to the palace, she slept with her. She had just completed the purification rites after having her, her period. Then she returned home. Later, when Bathsheba discovered that she was, she was pregnant, she sent him, um, David a message saying, I'm pregnant. So David, he's meant to be at war. He's, that's where he should be. That's where kings should be, okay? They're, they get away with it at the rainy season. They can stay in the palace then. But when it's spring, that's where they should be. And he gets lazy. Or maybe people would say, well, maybe he was just delegating really well, okay? But the fact that this happened shows it wasn't a good thing because he got distracted. He was walking and he saw something that he wanted. And because he was powerful, because he knew he could have it, he just thought, I'm going to have that. And so often we can fall into that trap where we just think, I'm going to have that. It's like this sense of entitlement. We think, because of who I am, I should get that. And that's a, that's a trap we can all fall into. Maybe Bathsheba um, wanted the king to notice her. I, I'm not saying that that's actually what happened, but I know that this is also something that I see all the time where people think, I'm going to get them to notice me and I'm going to make them mine, okay? Now, again, I'm not saying that happened here. I, I reckon David probably abused his power um, and he owns up to that, maybe. But David should have been somewhere and he wasn't. And then he committed this sin and then what happened was, he started this like, series of events when he tried to cover it up. It kept getting worse. It kept getting worse until eventually Bathsheba's husband was killed because of David. He sent them out knowing that he was going to get killed. And before I launch into five things that will help us deliver faith out loud, I want to chat about the dangers of forbidden fruit. Because again, that, that's what we can all fall into. We think, you know, I know I shouldn't, but, but I really want to. Like, um, for example, even simple things. When they told me that you're not meant to look at the solar eclipse, what do, you, what do you think of? I wonder what it looks like. It's like this forbidden fruit. Adam and Eve, they were tempted. They were tempted because they were told they couldn't eat out of this one tree. And then it makes you think, well, what's so special about that tree? And the, the work of the enemy, his best line, one of his best lines is to say, you aren't enough. He'll say, You'll be enough when you, when you take drugs. You'll be enough when you get that car. You'll be enough when you have abs. You'll be enough when you, when you have sex. You'll be enough when you, you can fill in the blank. And you know what? He's lying to us because what happens most of the time, if it's against what God has said, it leaves this emptiness. You give away a part of yourself and then you just, you're back to where you started or even worse. I wonder if you've seen Spider-Man, okay? And it's a wee bit of a, a tight spot because Sony have like, oh, it's broken from the MCU. I'm not going to bore you with that, okay? But in Spider-Man Homecoming, um, Tom Holland, who plays him, he gets this lovely new suit and he is buzzing. He has all this, you know, Tony Stark, who's Iron Man, has designed this for him. And there's one point when he's being irresponsible with his new toy and Tony Stark has to take it off him. And he says to him, but I'm nothing without the suit. And Tony replies, well, if you're nothing without it, then you shouldn't have it. What he's saying is, if you aren't enough without it, then you're, you're not going to be enough with it. And it, it reminded me of, of one of my favorite films. Has anybody seen Cool Runnings? Cool, what a film. Oh, my goodness. But um, in it, it's the story of, if you, haven't, it's, if you haven't seen it, it's the Jamaican bobsleigh team. So this group of Jamaicans who should never probably never be near a Winter Olympics. They decide, let's, let's put in a bobsleigh team to the Winter Olympics. And they're getting strange looks. They've got this guy who is the coach called Irv. 
And what has happened was he has a bit of a bad rep because he cheated. He was a, a gold medalist, but he got them taken off him for cheating. And we see um, Doris Banner, who is the leader, he's the second one across. He, he becomes consumed with this pursuit of winning. He just wants to win. He's pushing everybody that he loves away. And he's just becoming an awful version of him. And then he realizes, I've set my sights on the wrong thing. And he asks the coach, Irv, he says, you know, why did you cheat? And, he, and then he said to him, he, he kind of comes around saying, I was just consumed with winning. And he says, a gold medal is a wonderful thing, but if you're not enough without it, you'll never be enough with it. And as we launch into these five things that help us to live out loud, it has to be built on a foundation that we know that we are enough, that God says we are enough, that you are loved, that you are full of potential, that he loved you enough to send his son for you, and he wants to have a relationship with you. And that is what we're going to base the next five things off, that you are enough and that you're loved. And I love things that we'll, we'll all be able to take away and we'll be able to remember. So the five points start with one of the, each of the vows, okay? And vows, they help us sound out words. So I, I love the way God works in my weird mind, okay? The first one is, A, is for accountability, okay? King David, he was the most powerful person, so he didn't have to be accountable to anybody. And, and that was dangerous because um, you, you're thinking, well, you don't want to lose your job. So why would you tell a king, is that a wise idea? Do you know to go with Uriah's wife? You know, uh, but you, you might get killed. You might get your head chopped off, whatever. Okay? But accountability is so important if you're going to reach your potential, if you're going to walk into that promised land, if you're going to be the best version of you possible. You need to be accountable because if you, um, if you just want to try and do it all by yourself, you're going to fall. And we need people around us who don't just think like us, who don't dress like us all the time, you know, because that, that is a dangerous environment to be building around yourself when you just surround yourself with people just like you because it's, it's good to think differently from other people. It's good to have people who will challenge you and that is what accountability is about. Ecclesiastes 4.9 would be used a lot for weddings, but actually it's just um, part of life. Two people are better off than one for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other who can reach out and help, but someone who falls alone is in real trouble. It's so true. And as well as that, it's important that we able to come under leadership. It's no coincidence that the people that I see struggle quite a lot with their faith. They don't come under leadership well. They're not teachable, okay? They, they just kind of think, I want to do my own thing. Why should I listen to them? But I love what Hebrews 13, 17 reminds us. It says, obey your spiritual leaders and recognize their authority, for they keep watch over your soul without resting, since they will have to give an account to God for their work. So it will benefit you when you make their work a pleasure and not a heavy burden. It's so important that we come under leadership, but also that we have friends who will challenge us who will tell us to wind our neck in when we're being a drama queen or a drama king, okay? That is so important. The next one then is our environment. Now, we talk about how we are the product of our environment. When we are at New Wine, when we're at camp, it's so easy to be a Christian. It's amazing. I see people, you know, going forward in their faith. They're getting words. They're putting their hands up in worship. But as soon as we come back to this harder environment, it just, it just kind of goes. We get filled with fear and we feed our fear more than our faith, which means we struggle. 
And actually, sometimes what that's gonna take is you having to remove yourself from toxic environments because if your environment is dragging you down, well then you're gonna to need to get yourself into a more positive environment. Second Samuel 11, one, well, David was in the wrong environment. He should have been with his army. He should have been leaving, leading his army, but he was lazy. And often it's us being lazy or, you know, just being, ah, I can't be bothered. Or, you know, it's too much effort to make new friends who are good for me, so I'll just stick with the ones who keep dragging me down. It's so important that we're in the right environment that will shape us into the person we are called to be. The next one, so key, is integrity. Turn to the person beside you and say integrity, okay? Just so I know that you're awake. Integrity is so important. C.S. Lewis says, integrity is doing the right thing even when no one is watching. And before this happened with David, you would have said he was a man of integrity because, as I said, King Saul was trying to kill David and he had an opportunity to get him. He had an opportunity to kill Saul and he didn't take it because he could have just killed him in a cave and left him and no one would have known. But, he, but his conscience um, told him that he shouldn't do that. It says here, at the place where the road passes some sheepfolds, Saul went into the cave to have a number one or a number two, I don't know. But as it happened, David and his men were hiding farther back in that cave. And his men said to him, now's your chance, go and get him. Go and kill him. You can get your revenge because he's trying to kill you. So it's only fair that you get him. But David knew it wasn't right. He was a man of integrity. And we see that eventually, obviously this all happens, but if he hadn't you know, had a friend like Jonathan after his friend Jonathan had died and things like that, and he lost his way. But it's so important that in a world that, that feeds us lies sometimes that we're people who stand for truth, who have integrity. I saw this just earlier on Facebook, and it says, a lie doesn't become truth, wrong doesn't become right, and evil doesn't become good just because it's accepted by a majority. I'll read it again. A lie doesn't become truth, wrong doesn't become right, and evil doesn't become good just because it's accepted by the majority. And God wants us to be people who aren't shaped by our environment, who aren't shaped by our culture, but who shape it and make it better, who bring his love into situations. The next one, opportunities. Now, has anybody seen Evan Almighty? Has anybody seen the film Evan Almighty? Put your hand up, have you seen it? It's just, okay, cool. Now, there's a point where Morgan Freeman, who plays God, is chatting with um, Noah, or Evan's wife, in the cafe. And I love what it says, it's real good stuff. He says, let me ask you something. If someone prays for patience, do you think God gives them patience? Or does he give them the opportunity to be patient? If he prayed for courage, does God give him courage? Or does he give him opportunities to be courageous? If someone prayed for the family to be closer, do you think God zaps them with warm, fuzzy feelings? Or does he give them opportunities to love each other? And it's all about knowing when we're being given opportunities. This year, as we're learning to live out our faith, as we're learning to live out love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, it's about taking these opportunities because God is gonna give us them. There's no point us just saying, I'm not a patient person. You know, like, it's just not me, so I'm just gonna leave that for the spirit to decide. That is rubbish. God wants us to work on all of them. But there's a process. 
There's a process to becoming the best you. And Brian Houston, who's the pastor of Hillsong, I love this that he put on Twitter. He said, don't hunger for progress if you have no appetite for the process. There is always a process to progress. And we need to train our, our kids, our young people, the next generation, to have an appetite for the process. Because we've told them that they can just skip it. You know, you can just get surgery and have abs, okay? Or you can just get surgery and have that lip thing, you know, the crazy lip thing. Um, you know, you, you can skip the process and just, you get it, but then you haven't learned it, so you don't appreciate it. We need to have appetite for the process if we want to see progress. David was given an opportunity to repent. Nathan, he, he had the courage to go to him and say, do you know what? You've done something wrong because he had the opportunity to have self-control when he was on the roof in this verse in, in 2 Samuel 11, and he didn't take that opportunity. He gave in to temptation, but he then had the opportunity to repent, and he took it. And you know what? When he confessed it, when he turned away from it, God forgive him, and God wants to do the same for each of us. Last one then, such an important one. If we want to live our faith out loud, well then, there, sh- there has to be, there has to be unity. There has to be unity in the church. One of the sayings that broke my heart as a young Christian is Christian soldiers are the only soldiers, shoulders, that always happens, who shoot each other. And that's not cool. Christian soldiers are the only soldiers who shoot each other. When God commands us that we, we are united, and you don't have to see eye to eye to walk hand in hand. Second Corinthians 12, 20, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth and he says, I don't want to find you in disunity with jealousy and angry outbursts, with selfish ambition, slander, gossip, arrogance, and turmoil. Yet that's what we find too often in churches sometimes. And do you know what? It's no, it's no um, kind of secret that my favorite animals are penguins, emperor penguins. Absolutely love them. Probably bring them too, up too much in sermons, but... The only way that they survive the harshest environment on earth in the South Pole is together. They huddle together. They don't kind of look at the, the, the one beside them and say, oh, I'm not going near you. You have smelly pits. Do you know what I mean? Or, you know, I don't like the way you sound or the way you look. They know that if they're going to survive this harsh environment, they've got to stick together. And even the kids get this. They're trained from their kids. But also as well, Levi Lusco in his book, I Declare War, talks about the characteristics of a wolf pack. And, and I love that. I lo- love learning more about that and how they stick together, how they hunt together. Even in Jungle Book, it says, for the strength of the pack is the wolf and the strength of the wolf is the pack. It's about being united. And with Lion King, anybody see Lion King? Yeah? Um, love Lion King, love lions, okay? Now, when you do the kind of maths, when you do the measurements, a tiger would probably beat a lion in a fight if it was one-on-one. Yeah, okay. But why did, why did God call Jesus the lion of Judah? Why does he use a lion? Because it's about the pride. Because a lion won't be by himself, even though a tiger is a loner and can't be near other people because they're just catty, okay? Lions, they stick together. They stay in the pride. They stay united because they know that's the only way that they will be safe and the only way that they can hunt. So it's important that we have unity. The same goes for us. John 13, 35 says, for when you demonstrate the same love I have for you by loving one another, everyone will know that you are my true followers. Your love for each other will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Whereas Galatians 5, 
it talks about what is the opposite of the fruit of the Spirit? What happens when we always feed our flesh more than our spirit? Well, it says this. The cravings of the self-life are obvious. Sexual immorality, lustful thoughts, pornography, chasing after things instead of God, manipulating others, hatred of those who get in your way, senseless arguments, resentment when others are favored, temper tantrums, angry quarrels, only thinking of yourself, being in love with your own opinions, being envious of the blessings of others, murder, uncontrolled addictions, wild parties, and all other similar behavior. If we're gonna have unity, we need to make sure we're spending time in God's presence so that we can produce the fruit and not this other stuff. Because we know, you know, if you've gone a while without reading your Bible, you do. You start to get the spiritual equivalent of hangry. It's just like, you know, I'm just gonna, yeah. If, some, if someone annoys me today, I'm gonna go through them. And that's because this stuff is starting to bubble up. And what we need to do to be united is we've got to trust. We've got to trust God. We've got to try and trust each other. No matter how we've been hurt before, the only way to learn how to trust is to trust. It's just to put yourself out there, to risk it and to go for it. And because what does it say in the word trust? It says us. And just as I come um, to a close, I call the squats and sunflowers, but haven't mentioned that yet. And okay, yeah. Um, but we're getting to that now. One of the things that I loved about this summer was, he, was, was that young people had started hearing from God and they were coming up to us and saying, I got a picture of this. And we were like, yes, that is class. And Amy and Emma Brown, they're not, they're not sisters like um, in the same family, but you know, in Christ they are, yes. Um, but they came to me and they said, Lawrence, we keep getting this picture of a sunflower. What does it mean? And I was like, oh, I'm gonna have to like withdraw some wisdom here. I'm gonna try and explain this. But as I kind of explained, as I kind of explored and found out more about sunflowers, I, I was fascinated. And then obviously my mind then connects that to squats just because they're cool and I like doing them, okay? But when you are young, it's a completely natural movement for you to do, for you to do a squat. When a toddler throws a tantrum, they nearly always throw themselves into a perfect squat. But what happens is, when we get out of balance, you know, as we grow up, if we're not always doing that movement, we, we stop being able to. And to be able to get back into that movement, it causes pain. It's, it's very annoying if you're gonna have to learn to squat all over again, when you, if, you, if you ever get a personal trainer or something like that. And it's because something that you, you should be able to do, you were able to do when you were younger, you got out of it, okay? And with sunflowers, there's me getting my uh, profile picture at Portland Own Sunflower Field because I thought, well, you may as well just join, join the, the crew, okay? But as I researched more in the sunflowers, I found that they grow by this process called heliotropism. Now, I'm not a botanist or a scientist. I'm gonna try my best here, okay? But really, when they're young, they are flexible. And that means that they can turn to face the sun so that they can get more sunlight so that they can grow and keep growing. And what happens is, as they get older, they lose that flexibility, and then they become fixed. And spiritually, that can happen to all of us. Where when we're young, we're really flexible, we're turning up to everything, we're just kind of drinking it all in, we're like, yes, I love being a Christian, this is great, and we're teachable. We've got that humility, we're like, okay, yeah. But then, there comes a stage when we become fixed, and we're like, this is me, and I'm not changing for anybody. Um, and we just, you know, we, we lose that flexibility, and we just stay planted, even though sometimes God wants us to change, he wants us to move environment, and we become fixed. 
And I think that can be a picture of us spiritually, where some of us, we've let pride take over. And I've been doing the Bible in a year, and what um, Nicky Gumbel describes some of the kings who, who turned Israel away from God, he calls them stiff-necked, which means full of pride. He said that they had hardened their hearts. And the Pharisees, they were very spiritual people. They knew their Bible, but they'd become stiff-necked. They'd become inflexible. And that we need to be careful that the same doesn't happen to us, that we keep that flexibility from when we're young and we keep being teachable, we keep being humble, we keep pressing into God. Instead of just closing our eyes and saying, okay, God, I hope you're just gonna bless what I'm doing because you know, I know what I should be doing, but it's too much effort. We wanna keep facing the sun and knowing God wants to bless us because I was hit like in Revelation 2, 4 for, for God to say to me, but I have this against you. You have abandoned the passionate love you had for me at the beginning. Whereas Hebrews 12 says we have to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. So I hope that you remember those five things built on knowing that you're enough. Accountability is so important. Your environment, integrity, opportunities, and taking them, and then unity. And I believe if all of us grasp that, if we get that, we will change this community, this city, and this land. Let's live out loud. Now, Reuben's gonna come and, and pray for us all, but um, I, I just felt God ask me to write a song called Live Out Loud, and it's just kind of some of the stuff that I've, be, I've been through um, just kind of sung, I suppose. And it, it talks about how actions speak louder, and God doesn't just say he loves us. He showed it on the cross. So as I get ready for that, Reuben's gonna come and just pray into some of this stuff. Um, and then we're going to respond in, in worship. Okay, yeah, let's, let's bow our heads in prayer then. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for what you have spoken uh, this evening through Lawrence. We thank you for that passion and that enthusiasm that, Lord, we can see um, for your name, Lord. Lord, we pray for our young people, for our kids, for our older generations, for this whole church, Lord, that we would not lose a passion for your name. Lord, we ask this evening that you would fan into flame a passion for your name. Lord, as we look ahead, as we look ahead of the year um, that, that lies before us, Lord, we have no idea what lies ahead, but we ask, Lord, that you would raise up a generation that live out loud, a generation of integrity, a generation that actually practices what they preach, Father. Lord, a generation with a rich aroma of Christ, Lord, that wherever they go, Lord, that they would carry your name, Lord, that they would carry your presence. Lord, go before us. Lord, bless the youth, bless the kids, bless this church. Let us not be stiff-necked, Father. Let us be free to move in your spirit, Lord. Tune our hearts, tune our ears to what you will have for us. And, and today, Lord, tomorrow, in the, week, in the week ahead, the month ahead, in this next season ahead, Lord. We don't want to be like those sunflowers or those that do squats, Lord, that end up becoming stiff. But, Father, we want to be spiritually flexible, Lord. <laughs> 
Lord, thank you for the challenge that you've given us this evening. We pray that that would not just sit on the surface, Lord, but that challenge, we pray that that would just go straight to the heart tonight, that that would be rooted in our heart this evening, Lord. Lord, we ask all of this in your holy name. Amen.